If this is your uh, first time with us, my name is Philip Trock. I'm one of two pastors here at RBC. The other one I mentioned is Brian, and he's normally up here taking us through the book of Judges. And so today we're going to take a break from that study, and we're going to look at Judges 14 through 16. So if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 14. As you're doing that, I want to remind us of a few things. Much of the book of Judges describes a cycle of rest, idolatry, judgment, groaning, rescue, rest, idolatry, judgment, and on and on. The cycle goes round and round. But this time, Israel's final time around the cycle, this time, as we mentioned last time, Israel does not groan under God's judgment. They are content being under Philistine rule. But this time, God does not wait for them to ask him to save them. A new judge is announced to Manoah and his wife, uh, his barren wife, uh, and they learn that they're going to have a son who will be dedicated to God, even in the womb, as a Nazarite. Because God's plan is to use this little baby to start saving Israel from the Philistines. Now, the story of Samson divides nicely into two parts. Part one is chapters 14 and 15, and it concludes with the last verse of chapter 15, which says that Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Part two is chapter 16, and the end of that section ends almost the exact same way. The very last verse of chapter 16 says that Samson had judged Israel 20 years. And so these historical summary statements seem to mark off the story of Samson into two major parts. Now, part one of Samson's story begins when Samson, now an adult, demands that his parents coordinate a marriage for him with a Philistine woman. And thankfully, Samson's parents push back against this plan to marry a non-Israelite. And yet against their better judgment, Manoah and his wife give in to Samson's demand, and they begin this trip of theirs to go to the woman's home and get everything set up for the wedding. Now, somewhere along the way, Samson is somehow separated from his parents. And while he's separated from them, he's all alone, he is suddenly attacked by a lion. And the Spirit of the Lord, we're told, comes upon him so that he is able to tear this lion to pieces. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Isn't that odd? When Samson sees his parents again, he doesn't tell them anything about the lion's attack or what he was able to do. Apparently, uh, they continue their journey. They make all the arrangements for the wedding to come, uh, for Samson to marry this Philistine, and then they return home. Now, we are not surprised when we read that the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson. We've seen that happen to the judges before. But we ought to be surprised by its effect on Samson. We had no idea to this point in the story that Samson would have superhuman strength from the Lord. This is the first time we learn about that. 
And maybe, we don't know, perhaps this is the first time that Samson himself experienced God's power through the Spirit. But it won't be the last time. Samson's experience with the Spirit is unique in Judges. The Spirit came upon other judges to help them save Israel, but to help Samson, the Spirit is going to come upon him many times throughout the story. Well, when it comes time for the wedding, Samson travels again to the woman's house, but along the way, he decides to to stop at the place where the lion attacked him. And he discovers that a, a swarm of bees has made their hive inside this rotting lion carcass. And of course, as everyone knows, honey is a great trail snack. And so Samson scrapes some out of that dead lion carcass. That's what we would all do, right? He scrapes some out of there, and he eats it as he continues to walk. And he even gives some to his mother and father, but he still doesn't tell them anything about the lion or where he got the honey. Now, as Samson's wedding feast begins, there are 30 Philistine men that come to kind of celebrate with him. And so to keep things lively, Samson gives them a challenge. If they can solve his riddle, he will give them clothes. If they can't solve his riddle, they must give him clothes. And so the riddle went something like this. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, that riddle sounds easy to you because you know what happened on the road to this place, to Timnah. But Samson has told no one else what happened on the road. And so without knowing about the lion and the bees, this riddle is completely impossible. There is no way to solve this riddle. It's barely even worth calling it a riddle. And so the men of Samson's wedding party cannot figure this thing out. And if, if they can't figure it out, they're going to all have to buy clothes for Samson, and they're very unhappy about this. And so what do they do? They cheat, okay? They cheat. They threaten Samson's wife that they will kill her and her father if she doesn't get Samson to tell her the secret of his riddle. And so with all that pressure on her, she goes after him day after day, weeping and begging him to tell her the secret to his riddle. And finally, on the seventh and final day of the wedding feast, it must have gotten so bad and so overwhelmingly oppressive from this woman that he finally tells her the secret to his riddle. And of course, she betrays him. She tells her people the secret. And so before the sun goes down on that last day, the 30 men come to Samson and they have the solution to his riddle. And of course, Samson is just furious about this. He knows that the only way these men could have figured out his impossible riddle would be as if his wife, his new wife, had betrayed him. But, maybe surprisingly, Samson decides to honor his challenge. He will give clothes to each of these men, but rather than go down to the local department store, look at what he does in chapter 14, verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, that's a city in Philistia, and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. So what would you do if you'd lost a bet and needed to give clothes to 30 Philistines? Okay? Just go kill 30 other Philistines, take off their clothes and their armor and everything, and give it to the men. 
I'm sure these clothes are going to be probably bloody and full of holes now, but it's okay. The challenge never said the clothes had to be new. And so Samson has already killed 30 Philistines. He is starting to save Israel. Now, after all this, Samson's anger with his wife is so strong and so obvious that his new father-in-law assumes there's no way this guy still wants to be married to my daughter. And so her father gives his wife away to the best man at his wedding. And that was a big, big mistake. Because eventually Samson does go back. He wants to visit his wife and he discovers that his wife has been given to his best friend. And so what does Samson do? He does the same thing that any of us would have done in that same situation. We would catch 300 foxes, tie their tails together with a lighted torch, and send them in pairs, running through our enemies' grain and olive orchards, burning them all to the ground. Okay, that's what you would do, right? Well, that's what Samson does. And so once again, Samson is starting to save Israel from the Philistines. And so what do the Philistines do in return? Okay, they burn his wife and her father. Samson finds out about this, and what does he do in return? Look at chapter 15, verse 8. Back and forth they go, back and forth. Chapter 15, verse 8. It says, he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Another translation puts it like this. He struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter. And so Samson continues to save Israel from the Philistines. And so what do the Philistines do in return? They send a raiding party to the land of Judah to find Samson, to bind him, and to to do to him as he has done to us. And so 3,000 men of Judah, they go out and they confront Samson. Okay, Judah takes 3,000 men to go get one. Okay. And they say to him, what are you doing? The Philistines are our rulers. You are going to get us all killed with what you're doing, going back and forth with them like this. And Samson responds, perhaps he has his, his arms crossed. Okay, In chapter 15, verse 11, he says, as they did to me, so I have done to them. He says, they started it, I'll stop when they stop. So the men of Judah say, look, we are, we are not here to kill you. We just want to tie you up and turn you over to people who want to kill you. And Samson, and Samson agrees. And when, when the Philistines see Samson coming and he's all tied up, they get so excited. They shout with excitement. They cannot wait to kill this guy. Look at chapter 15, verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. So Samson is still starting to save Israel from the Philistines. And so part one of Samson's story could have ended with this great victory, but instead Part 1 ends like this. Look at down at Judges 15, verse 18. So this is right after his great victory, God's great deliverance. Verse 18. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned. And he revived. So after such a a great victory through the Lord's power, how does Samson respond to to difficulty? 
He prays to God, but his request is tinted with more doubt and complaining than it is, than it is with faith. Now that brings us to chapter 16 and part 2 of Samson's story. Part 2 of Samson's story begins with the Philistines still trying to get him, still trying to, to capture him. And so when they hear that he is with a prostitute in Gaza, they set up an ambush for him at the city gate. Kids, if you have a coloring sheet, this is the story that you're coloring. Okay, if you don't have one, they're back there by the sound table. The Philistines' plan is to wait quietly outside the city and to stay there all night long so that they can surprise Samson when he walks out of the city gate in the morning. But Samson surprises the Philistines. He wakes up in the middle of the night at midnight, the text says. He picks up the city gates with God's power and carries them to the top of the hill in front of Hebron. And so once again, the Philistines fail to capture Samson. Now sometime later, Samson pops up again on the Philistines' radar, and this time he's in the valley of Sorek, in the home of the woman named Delilah. And this time, the Philistines decide to take a different approach to capturing Samson. Rather than surround the city or her house to take Samson by force, the Philistines use the only strategy that has ever worked against Samson. What is the only way that the Philistines have ever been able to get the better of Samson? It's through a woman. Okay? It's interesting that this happens in a book where women have already been so significant with Jael and Deborah and Jephthah's daughter, and now the women are the downfall of Samson. The only way to capture Samson is to figure out the secret of his strength. In the last part of the story, when the Philistines needed to figure out the secret to Samson's riddle, they sent a woman, his wife. And now, when they need to figure out the secret to his strength, they send a woman, Delilah. And so the Philistines offer Delilah a lot of silver to betray Samson and discover the secret to his strength. And so Delilah goes to work. Look at chapter 16, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, have you ever thought that her request seems a little suspicious? Okay. This, is like, this is like a kid who comes in from the backyard, full sprint, out of breath, and says, so mom, in theory, if, if someone was hitting a baseball that broke a window on our van, hypothetically speaking, of course, would our car insurance cover it? Okay. With a question like that, mom knows exactly what just happened in the backyard. Could Delilah not have been a little more discreet? Okay. Maybe, but, but she didn't need to be. Either Samson doesn't see what is obvious to us now, or he didn't want to see it. We don't know. But Samson doesn't give up the secret to his strength right away, just as he didn't last time. Now, he makes up something about using fresh, non-dried bowstrings, and then he makes up something about new ropes, then he makes up something about weaving his hair. And so each time, Delilah does what he says to do, to, to bind him. And then each time, the Philistines are waiting there and hiding. And each time, she, she rustles him to wake up. And each time, whatever she used to bind him is, has no effect. And he can free himself easily. And so Delilah keeps the pressure on day after day until his soul was vexed to death. It was awful, just awful. So that once again, finally, just as he gave in to the pleas of his wife in the last part of the story, Samson gives in to Delilah and tells her the secret of his strength. 
Look at chapter 16, verse 17. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so Samson's secret is out. And Delilah can tell that this is finally the truth. And so while he is sleeping on her lap and with the Philistines waiting in ambush, for the first time in his entire life, Samson's hair is cut. Chapter 16, verse 20. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill and the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, sometime later, the Philistines decide to gather for a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. They want to thank him for his help in, in helping them capture their great enemy, Samson. And so they think, you know, what better way to celebrate our victory over Samson and, and thank Dagon than to bring Samson out and let him stand up there where we can all see him and we can mock him and his god. And so they brought Samson from prison and they placed him between the pillars of that great place where everyone could see him and mock him. And as Samson stood there, blind, holding the hand of a young man that had been tasked with kind of leading him and, and putting him in the right spot, Samson asks that his hands be, be guided to the pillar so that he could lean on them. And from there, just as he had at the end of part one, when he was so thirsty, here at the end of part two, Samson prays to God for the second time. Chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And God answered this prayer too. That day, Samson died with those who wanted to kill him. He pushed on those great pillars with God's power and brought that great place down on himself, down on Dagon, their God, and down upon thousands of Philistines so that this became Samson's greatest victory. In fact, Samson killed, the text says, more Philistines in his death than he did in his entire life otherwise. But this final victory cost him his life, and not in any honorable sense. Okay? His, his capture and his death were self-inflicted. They were the tragic consequences of selfish choices as he ran from God's kindness and call upon his life. As we said earlier, the, the two parts of Samson's story follow a, a, a similar shape. Did you see that as we went through there? In both part one and part two, the Philistines go through Samson's woman to discover his secret, but their success backfires. And both times, they get Samson, but they lose far more in the end. And yet, part two ends a, a little bit differently than part one. In Samson's story, there's, there's li very little about his personal walk with the Lord for us to get excited about. But if there's anything, it's the faith that he shows here in his prayer at the end of part two. 
which was much harder to see in his, in his prayer at the end of part one. That was, seemed much more uh, selfish and complaining. Now, to be sure, Samson's prayer here at the end of part two is still motivated some by revenge, but the doubt and complaining that we saw last time is gone. And this is likely the reason that Samson shows up in Hebrews 11, where those who are noted for their faith are listed. Now, as we finish the story itself, we need to ask a question that I try to ask every time we look at a story in Judges or a story in the Bible, and that is, what does the story of Samson teach us about God? That is always a great place to start as you are reading stories in the Scriptures. And there are probably a number of things that we could or should infer from this story, but there is at least one thing about God that the author of Judges wanted us to come away with. Ask yourself this question. Did Samson fulfill God's purpose for him? Did Samson fulfill God's purpose for him? I'm not asking if Samson was a good judge. Okay, we all know he wasn't. He was terrible. But did he fulfill God's purpose for him? You remember what God's purpose for Samson was? His purpose was that he would begin to save Israel from the Philistines. Well, did Samson begin to save Israel from the Philistines? The answer would be yes, but not in the way that we probably thought if, if we were reading the story and never read it before. Maybe we would have thought that Samson would be a, a great general who won many battles against the Philistines, but then was kind of tragically killed himself uh, just before conquering the final Philistine stronghold. And, and that would be how he started to save Israel. That's maybe how we thought maybe this would go. That would have been much better, at least in our eyes. But did you know that the, the very different course that Samson's life took was actually God's plan for him? There's a very important verse that we skipped over at the very beginning of chapter 14, but it is one of the most important verses in the entire Samson narrative. So turn to Judges, chapter 14, verse 2. Judges 14, verse 2. Then he, Samson, came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now remember, we always want to take special note when a, when a narrator steps into the story to tell us information that we couldn't know otherwise or information that the characters don't know. It's always very important. So look at Judges 14, verse 4. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. What was from the Lord? Samson's demand for a Philistine wife. So again, his father and mother did not know that Samson's demand was from the Lord. For he, for God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Does that verse surprise you and make you think? I hope so. Did you catch all that? Samson's demand for a Philistine wife was from God. It was God's way 
of inciting or starting a conflict between Israel and the Philistines. Remember, Israel was content under Philistine rule. And so Israel would not have wanted to fight for a general-style Samson like we would have wanted. And so God's plan was for Samson to demand a marriage to a Philistine woman. And then God gave him that crazy experience with, with a lion and bees so that he would have a riddle to tell the Philistines that they could not solve. And then, you know, you know the rest of the story and how it went. As one author said, because the Israelites did not have the heart to take action against the Philistines, God caused the Philistines to take action against them, starting with Samson's demand for a Philistine wife. Now, I realize that whenever the Bible says, or when the Bible says, like it does here, that Samson's sinful choice to pursue a Philistine wife was God's will, I realize that this raises questions, okay? But the Bible is clear that God is sovereign over everything. Ephesians 1.11, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. We read this earlier. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 16.33, the lot or the dice is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And God is sovereign over everything. And so God is sovereign even over our evil actions. In the story of Joseph, which you probably know well, do you remember what Joseph said about the evil that his brothers did to him? In the story, in Genesis 50, Joseph says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it. God meant your evil for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Joseph doesn't say that God quickly found a good purpose for his brother's evil actions. No, Joseph says that God meant their evil actions for good. A good God sent Joseph to Egypt via the evil actions of his brothers. God is sovereign over everything, and so God is sovereign even over our evil actions. And as hard as this is for us to understand to the extent that we want to, it is actually really good news for us because it is the same way that God explains what happened to Jesus. What Excuse me, I said, was it God's plan for Jesus to die for our sin? Or did God just, thankfully, find a good purpose for man's sinful actions against Jesus? Okay, what does the Bible say? We read it earlier in Acts 4. God tells us in that passage that the sin of Herod, of Pontius Pilate, of the Gentiles and the Jews, their sin against Jesus in crucifying him, God says their sin was God's hand and God's plan, what he had predestined to take place. So you see, without tainting his goodness, God is sovereign over evil in a way that preserves both humanity's responsibility for our actions and thus also God's justice in judging us for them. And again, while I know that this raises lots of questions, while we look to the Bible to understand as best we can, don't let those questions keep you from the sweet comfort that this truth is to God's people. Think about it. If God is sovereign over all things, working all things together for the good of those who love him, even our own evil actions, then your sin has never gotten in the way of God's good purpose for you. It's impossible. Someone else's sin against you has never gotten in the way of God's good purpose for you. Satan 
cannot get in the way of God's good purpose for you. Your sin against someone else cannot get in the way of God's good purpose for them. And finally, if God is sovereign even over our evil actions, then every sin in our world has some connection to God's good purpose. Now, I say all that, and I want to quickly say this. Sin is always serious because it is always first and foremost against God. And so let me be quick to say that none of this should make us feel any better about sin. God's sovereignty over even our evil actions should not make us feel better about sin. But it should make us feel better about all of God's promises. God's sovereignty, even over our evil actions, should strengthen our confidence in all of his promises. He cannot be thwarted. He cannot be stopped. The Bible says that it was God's plan for Samson to demand a marriage with a Philistine woman. And that sinful demand was God's way of starting a conflict, a conflict that he wanted between Israel and the Philistines to save Israel from themselves. You see, Israel needs Samson because Samson won't let them live in peace with the Philistines and because Samson warns them to turn back to God. Now, I said that Samson warns them. How does Samson warn Israel to turn back to God? We don't have any record of Samson like standing up like Jeremiah would have and preaching a sermon for God's people. But did you ever think that Samson kind of, kind of reminds you of Israel a little bit? Just as God's blessing, his special blessing on Samson gave us reason to expect great things through him for God's glory, so also God's blessing on Israel gave us reason to expect great things through them for God's glory. But just as Samson intermarried with the nations, so did Israel. And just as Samson complained to God for failing to provide water after God had just saved him from, from a thousand Philistines, so also Israel complained to God for not having water right after God had delivered them to the waters of the Red Sea. And in Judges, both Israel and Samson cry out to God only when they are completely desperate. That's the only time they ever pray to him. And finally, Samson has become like a Philistine. By his character and actions, you wouldn't know that he was one of God's covenant people. And it's the same with Israel. By their character and their actions, you wouldn't know that they were anything special. They are just like the nations. In fact, even though the Philistines want to kill Samson, he would actually fit in really well with them. And Israel fits in really well with the Philistines too. Israel doesn't even cry out to God to deliver them like what they did every other time in Judges. And when God raises up Samson to deliver Israel, Israel rejects him and turns him over to the Philistines to kill him. Israel doesn't want Samson. And Israel doesn't want to be saved from the Philistines. You see, Samson's life is like a, a dramatization of how much, like the nations, Israel has become. And his downfall and destruction in the end is a warning of where this is going to lead for Israel if they do not turn back to God. Because as we all know from the rest of the Bible, there will come a day when, like Samson, Israel is captured and led away to the enemy. This warning is the message of Samson when we compare him to Israel. But there's another message that emerges when we compare him to Jesus. 
Of course, there are many more differences than similarities, but there are some similarities. Number one, both Samson and Jesus have very similar birth narratives. Both Samson and Jesus were sent by God to rescue Israel. Both were betrayed to their enemies by someone they trusted. And both Samson and Jesus were rejected by Israel. Now, these similarities don't make Samson look any better, okay? But they do, those similarities, do cause us to make the comparison with Jesus. And once we make the comparison, all the differences take over and become all that we see. Okay, so what are the differences? Samson couldn't care less about God's mission for him. But Jesus is painfully aware of what God has sent him to do. In the garden, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Samson serves only himself. He is guided by his desires for pleasure and revenge. In fact, unlike the other judges, Samson never actually leads Israel in battle. All of his fights with the Philistines are personal. But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Samson's suffering and death were the the consequences of his own foolishness. But Jesus' suffering and death were for our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And finally, Samson's suffering and death only started to deliver God's people. King David would finally put down the Philistines and save Israel from them. But Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection have saved his people completely. We had such high hopes for Samson after reading just Judges 13. But even with his superhuman strength, Samson could not save Israel in every way that Israel needed. He ended up being too much like Israel. They needed a a better rescuer, and so do we, because we, if we're honest, are too much like Samson and Israel. We are often much less interested in fulfilling God's purpose for our lives than we are in fulfilling our own purpose and getting what we want. We go to work, and we are about all about our own advancement. When we come home from work, we're all about our comfort. When the kids don't do exactly what we want, we're all about our control. When others fail, we are all about our success. And kids, when others are unkind to us, we are all about being unkind to them. We are too much like Samson and Israel. And so the good news for Samson and Israel is also good news for us. Now, there was another comment we passed over quickly without noting. But perhaps you noticed that while Samson was in prison, his hair started to grow back. Okay? And this has been puzzling to me this last week. Why does the author tell us that Samson's hair is growing back? Of course, when you cut your hair, it grows back. This is simple biology. And so why, why tell us that and draw our attention to it? Does this mean that his strength came back? No, his long hair was never his strength. His hair was a symbol of his dedication to God as a Nazarite. And so when Samson's hair returns, it is again a symbol of his dedication to God. However, after Samson has showed such disregard for God's special call on his life, one has to wonder if God would ever empower Samson again after what happened. Now, I think we know what the Philistines thought about all this, right? They must have thought that Samson's God was done with Samson. 
They must have thought that Samson's God was done with someone who would so disregard all of his blessing and his, his calling and go so hard in the other direction. Otherwise, what would they have done? They would have kept cutting his hair. If they thought this was something that was going to happen again, they would have kept it short, but they let his hair grow. And so Samson's growing hair doesn't tell us that God will empower him again, but it does raise the question, will God empower this one man again, or is God done with Samson? It forces us to be confronted with that question. And so you see, when Samson prays between the pillars and God answers with the power to destroy the Philistines, this was good news for Samson, it's good news for Israel, and it's good news for us. In the years to follow, when, when Israel is captured like Samson, will God rescue them if they turn to him? And today, if we are defeated again in our sin, will God rescue us if we turn to him? God did not turn away from Samson, crying out to him from between the pillars. And so the message for Israel was that God would not turn away from them if they would turn to him when exile came. And the good news for Samson, for Israel, again, is the same good news for us. It is God's heart for sinners. And when a, when a greater rescuer came to die, we saw God's great heart for sinners on full display. The father gave up his only son to die on the cross for sinners. And God's heart for sinners, seen at the cross, continues the same today. We see it here on this table in front of us. The bread of Christ's body and the cup of his blood. And so my final exhortation to us today from the text is, do not reject God's kindness and calling. Samson's story has shown us where that will lead, whoever you are. But God's mercy to Samson has also taught us that God does not turn away from sinners who turn to him for rescue. And so if you've never turned from your sin in faith to Jesus, if you've never made his sacrifice your only hope for rescue from sin's power and sin's punishment, and you're wondering if God would welcome and forgive someone like you who has done all the things that you have done, God answered you in the story of Samson. But his clearest answer, the most powerful display of his mercy in his heart for sinners, is right here in front of us today on this table. It is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God will welcome you today and forgive you if you turn to him. And if you've been trusting in Christ for a long time, but you wonder whether God is still for you after what you've done recently, God answered you in the story of Samson. But his clearest answer the most powerful display of the mercy in his heart for sinners is right here in front of us. It is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brother or sister, God will forgive you and welcome you today once again. And so now, before us, we have the opportunity to receive together the blessing of God's assurance of pardon, that our sin has been forgiven through Jesus Christ as we eat of the bread of his body and drink of the cup of his blood to show our faith. And if, if you have turned from your sin in faith to Christ and have been baptized since doing so, and we would, we would encourage you to eat and drink at this table with us. If that's not true about you, perhaps you're just learning about who Jesus is, uh, or perhaps you're here and you're trusting him, but you've never been baptized, we are so glad that you're here, but we'd ask you to observe as we eat and drink this morning. 
And so at this time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we will distribute the bread and the cup to you. And as they come, I'd ask you to hold on to them so that we can eat and drink and remember together as those who have been united to Christ and therefore to one another.